CJSW presents Body Slam Poetry, an eight-part podcast series about Calgary and Alberta's wrestling legacy in the current independent scene. As a lifelong pro wrestling fan, I'm always trying to figure out new ways to sell it to people. You've heard some of the examples I and past guests have used in previous episodes, such as selling it as a night out, a fun event to go to that is unlike anything else. One other comparison came to me last year after attending an RCW, or Real Canadian Wrestling, show at the Legion. In the first half of the show, wrestlers had their gear on, showcasing their pageantry and their larger-than-life wrestling persona. During the intermission, though, I noticed one of the wrestlers just walking amongst the crowd of the Legion, blending in with the others in their street clothes. It took me a beat to realize this was the same guy I saw in the ring all of an hour earlier. It brought to mind the world of drag and drag personas, and then I thought of other similarities between it and the drag world. That's how I started selling going to wrestling show to non-fans. It then made me start to think about queer representation in pro wrestling as a whole, and well, take it away, me. Episode 8, Queer Representation in Pro Wrestling. In researching this episode, I found out about the Edmonton-born and Toronto-based documentary filmmaker Rye Levy, who recently made a movie titled Out in the Ring, about the history of LGBTQIA wrestlers and representation in the sport. The documentary is currently on the festival circuit and will be announcing a streaming deal in the near future at the time of recording. You can find more information on the documentary at outinthering.com. When did Rye himself get into pro wrestling? I, I mean, I grew up in Alberta, um, in Edmonton, on uh, pro wrestling. Uh, uh, basically, it was Calgary Stampede Wrestling was my first introduction to pro wrestling um, on uh, Saturday mornings. So, you know, I became kind of an instant fan because it was something I hadn't really had any um, sort of real connection to before that. I think I casually remember seeing, you know, friends and families, kids and with um, wrestling magazines, but it was really, you know, kind of like 1984, 1985 with Stampede Wrestling that I really got into it. And then, of course, you know, would would develop a love uh, beyond that, you know, with other things like AWA and WWF at the time. The history of LGBTQ plus representation is too long to get into for a single 30 minute episode. But it dates back to pro wrestling's golden age in the 1940s, beginning in Mexico. But I mean, a lot of this, you know, comes to North America out of, strangely, a rather Catholic uh, country um, like Mexico uh, with the Exoticos, which were, um, you know, these effeminate, flamboyant, um, almost cartoonish characters. Um, They are meant to often, uh, you know, you know, um, you know, derive hate from an audience or what they call heat. So people would be very angry at these, you know, kind of effeminate, flamboyant, uh, less than quote unquote masculine uh, representations of male, predominantly male wrestlers. That kind of representation was, of course, brought to the United States uh, by George Wagner, who would become Gorgeous George. He basically took the gimmick from an American wrestler uh, and and brought that into the United States and applied that to American wrestling. 
Gorgeous George was a sensation in the 40s and 50s and was the first North American star of what was dubbed wrestling's first golden era. His flamboyant style inspired everyone from Muhammad Ali, James Brown, to Liberace. He's also credited with bringing camp to the mainstream. Rye Levy continues. So, you know, the idea of what representation specifically uh, in the 1950s and through the through 60s, 70s, and into the 80s was this inherent homoeroticism uh, that also looked at um, the idea that any man who was potentially quote-unquote gay uh, was effeminate, weaker, uh, villainous, uh, and, and, and terrible. A major pioneer in queer representation of pro wrestling was Susan Tex Green. Like a Susan Tex Green in a kind of uh, tall, masculinized um, cowboy gimmick. And, and, and Susan Green, you know, wrestled a, a stronger style because she trained at the beginning of her career with somebody like Joe Blanchard and with men, and then eventually would go to work with Moolah. Uh, and, and Moolah would then, of course, impart, you know, the idea of you had to be a lady, you had to be ladylike, or right. you had to be uh, all of these things in the ring. So, you know, wrestling's always had this kind of weird historical, you know, connection with, you know, the idea of what is masculine, what is feminine. Susan Tech Screen hid that she was gay for years, as it was taboo in pro wrestling in the 1960s. The trainer, the fabulous Moolah, real name Lilia Ellison, would ask prospective women wrestlers whether they were lesbians before agreeing to train them. Quoting, if you were a lesbian, you were not being trained by her, according to Susan Tex Green, whose story of encountering anti-gay prejudice and having to remain in the closet is at the heart of Rye Levy's Out in the Ring documentary. In talking with Rye Levy, I brought my comparison between drag shows and pro wrestling, and if he saw a similarity. Well, I, I mean, I think there's there's the definite correlation between drag and 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 ball, or drag and ball culture and pro wrestling. I mean, it's all spandex and sequins, and in some cases, makeup and costumes. And there's this pageantry component, and you know, the idea of a character. Um, persona, you know, but again, you have to remember that representation also is th- th- this idea of what they call kayfabe or, you know, k- pretending that you are your character in real life. Because remember, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s and, and 80s and into the early 90s, I mean, you didn't, you know, they, they you, you lived your gimmick. Yeah. You know, they, you went out in public, you didn't go roam around with the audience. Um, that's a new construct uh, in the last, really in the last 20 years. In terms of the comparison between drag performers and pro wrestling, Rye mentioned to me how there's actually one wrestler who directly combines both worlds. Is, you know, is a drag queen who is a wrestling manager, wrestling personality in Pollo Del Mar. Mm. And the fact that Pollo Del Mar started out, you know, kind of in a Bay Area working independent. Uh, LGBTQ wrestling shows had a history as a wrestling journalist outside of drag and in drag as well as Paul E. Pratt and uh, and also as Pollo Del Mar and is now strangely in in this weird wrestling space where they are an on-screen character in something like the NWA which has a history of being a less than accepting, very southern, yeah. very conservative, quote unquote, redneck uh, presentation of wrestling. 
Coyo Del Mar being part of the storied NWA, or National Wrestling Alliance, promotion, which has been around since 1948, is incredibly subversive, as Rye Levy notes. It's not just that she's part of a Southern-based promotion like that, which, by the way, I always have to mention that the current owner and booker of the NWA is one William Patrick Corgan himself, Billy Corgan, of Smashing Pumpkins fame and Zwan non-fame. It's that she's managing a wrestler named Thrillbilly Silas Mason, who hails from Blunt County, Tennessee, and is exactly what you envision a guy who calls himself a Thrillbilly named Silas from Tennessee to look like. They're an incredible pair, and it is by far the best thing going on in the NWA. The Thrillbilly Silas Mason and my beautiful woman, Pollo Del Mar. The sexiest woman in the whole damn South. <laughs> right here in the National Wrestling Alliance. The most popular indie promotion in America is GCW, or Game Changer Wrestling, which is a promotion that primarily features hardcore death matches. No, no one actually dies, don't worry. Despite the hyper-masculine setting of GCW, GCW is incredibly inclusive, and one of the biggest stars in the promotion is the openly out Effie, who uses Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road as his entrance music. Also rising up the ranks in GCW is a trans-Persian woman named Dark Sheik. Rye Levy interviewed Dark Sheik for his Out in the Ring documentary, and in asking if she was accepted by the locker room, this is what she said. Things that I, I remember Dark Sheik saying so eloquently um, when she came out as trans, um, she said, I'm already taking, I have to trust the people I work with because I'm already taking my body, putting my body in their hands, taking my life in their hands by working with these people because what they do is so physical and can be dangerous. You're throwing people. You're taught, you're punching you're you're punching them. You're hitting with chairs, and while you're certainly simulating certain things, and and uh, you know, and the outcome is there. There's 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 a physical component that involves you. You know, you basically have to put your body in the hands of somebody. That's the present day, but even just ten years ago, it was tough to find queer representation in pro wrestling, as Ryan Levy describes. The WWE had a tag team at the time named Billy Gunn and Chuck Palumbo, or Billy and Chuck for short, who were going to get married on TV. And then they got to the point of about them having married, you know, getting married on TV. The, the whole buildup was, you know, to working with Glad, Gays and Lesbians Against Defamation, to develop a character. They have Billy and Chuck go on, you know, the Today Show as Kip Sop and, you know, and, and Chuck Palumbo. Uh, and, and 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 break kayfabe and talk about the story. They get yeah. handed a gravy boat on you know on a major morning show, and then later and you know and then later that night you know that week on TV, um, it's like whoops we're not gay and you know and then all of a sudden you you've basically again you've made gay people the butt of a joke again um, that it was nothing more than a gimmick, and that would continue through to the '90s and it really wasn't until 2014. That we saw the first, we, that we actually saw the first out, openly gay active performer in the WWF, WWE yeah. in in Fred Rosser, Darren Young. 
And so when I started filming in 2017, I was still hard pressed to find LGBTQ talents that were out and working in anything. I mean, really, there was only Fred Rosser and some indie wrestlers. And then cut to, you know, today, 2023, I mean, we've got all LGBTQ plus promotions. We've got a, a two time trans, you know, two time women's champion who happens to be trans, not only trans, but to spirit. Yeah. Uh, you know, black, indigenous, trans woman who's this incredibly talented athlete and yes. amazing performer. Rye is referring to the indigenous and African-American wrestler Nilo Rose, the first openly transgender wrestler in history to sign with a major American promotion when she signed with AEW, or All Elite Wrestling, in 2019. She also became the first trans wrestler to win a title in a major American promotion when she won the AEW Women's World Championship the following year. That said, sadly, Nyla Rose still has to deal with anti-trans bigots on social media as they level horrible jokes at her. Nyla Rose, on a recent episode of The Sessions with Renee Paquette, had this to say about the homophobic hate she receives on social media. I laugh because at this stage in the game, it's all recycled jokes. It's nothing right. I haven't heard before. Um, it. You know, sometimes it stings a little. Sometimes things seep through the cracks. It can be a little challenging. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, these are some very uncreative people. Hey, anybody out there listening, let me help you out. Uh, a good joke would be the fact that I just recently wrote an issue of X-Men. So who better than to write the X-Men than an X-Man? Oh! See, there you go. You want some original <laughs> material? Why do I have to help you hate me? <laughs> You guys are so unoriginal, so not funny. Like, yeah. so, and guess what? Now you can't use that one because I took the power away. <laughs> Give that writer's credit, suckers. Speaking of AEW, arguably the most popular tag team in wrestling today is AEW's Max Caster and Anthony Bowens, better known as former AEW tag team champions, the Acclaimed. Their entrance involves Max Caster doing a different freestyle rap each week, often tackling current events and roasting their opponents. And they end each rap with their de facto catchphrase, Scissor me daddy ass, which they say to their manager, wrestling legend Billy Gunn, who, yes, is indeed the same Billy Gunn from Billy and Chuck all those years ago in the WWE. They are incredibly over. Children are wearing t-shirts with the phrase. People are running around with scissor me daddy ass foam fingers. And that's lovely and huge for Anthony Bowens, an openly gay black man who Rye interviewed for his documentary. And Bowens would eventually come out as gay and he has a wonderful partner, Michael Pavano, and they create all this amazing content. And then to watch him and Max Caster take these elements of queer culture and incorporate them into a character. I mean, you, 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 if you think about it, I mean, here, here's this fascinating merger of kind of straight urban black culture in terms of rap and yeah. hip hop and this kind of aggression, um, you know, and you know, and you know, these you know these burns that are you know there, um, you know, is, is melding again, you know, that. You know, so much of drag and ball culture, again, you know, ball culture comes out of also a black urban 
experience, you know, people who are marginalized, people who are trans, people who are of color. Um, it's all about, you know, you know, reading people in shade and those and those and that and those burns, those raps, um, those freestyles that Max Castro does is rooted in gay culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all about, you know, burning somebody and, you know, and, and, and you know, reading in, in the whole concept of reading. Uh, which is all out of which is all out of urban ball culture. I mean, to come full circle, that you know, that Billy Gunn is is part of this gimmick is not lost on me. It's very funny. Yeah, and I think it goes to show how kind of cool and accepting Billy is. Me and Rye talked for over ninety minutes about various issues and topics, and I'm sad I can't fit most of it in this episode. So to refrain from me talking more than they need to, here is an interesting bit where he talked about gender in pro wrestling. So we we have to stop, you know, devaluing. You know the idea of what constitutes a gender and what constitutes, you know, I mean, obviously, gender, gender roles and sexuality roles um, are fluid, and we're slowly seeing that get better. Um, you know, it's why wrestling needs to evolve, yeah, and especially at the top of the card, and get rid of the idea of a man and a woman can't wrestle each other. Well, yeah, maybe sh- should should. Um, you know, Ty, Ty of Valkyrie is a friend of mine said, you know, yeah, I could have a death match with Mike Perro in pro wrestling. Am I going to have an MMA fight with Mike Perro? No, I'm not going to because he's 350 pounds. And if he punches me, he's going to break my face. Intergender wrestling, as it's known when a man and woman wrestle, is very popular on the independent circuit. When you go to RCW shows, you often see an intergender match. I remember in particular seeing a great one between Body Slam Poetry guest Ava Lawless and Heavy Metal, who's much bigger than Ava. But the audience fully bought in, and it was the best match on the show because pro wrestling is about trust and the choreography, and it was incredible to witness a petite Ava Lawless throw Heavy Metal around and dominate him. When we're discussing queer presentation, it must sadly be noted, while it's wonderful there are far more outwrestlers than there were decades prior, the danger of being openly queer is as bad as it's ever been. It's an issue that hits close to home for Calgary with the recent news like the Chinook Blast event postponing all-ages drag events due to the fears of protests, and the targeting of all-age drag events as a whole. Rye Levy discussed it as an act of bravery to be out in this current climate of bravery there's an inherent bravery to coming out and current and and in the current climate it is political climate it is so important to be out and dangerous yeah. i mean we're seeing it with you know bomb threats and shootings and gay clubs and 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 and, and you know you know uh drag queen story times i mean here we are we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna you know we're we're, we're you know taking we're showcasing things you know that are an adult nightclubs and applying those drag shows in adult spaces where it's a little more sexualized and we're applying it to storytelling you know when a drag queen goes in and reads a story they're going in and most most kill most young children perceive them just as pretty princesses yeah they're you know they're you know for them it's it's like they they they, you know you'll hear kids they they don't differentiate unless you tell them um you know, and so, you know, right now, the act of being out in any form, in any media is an act of is an act of defiance. It's an act of bravery. And, you know, um, 
I and 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 even and an even greater act of bravery if you're a person of color, if you're a trans woman of color, a trans man of color, um, because as a white cis gay male, I can always hide in plain sight. Yeah, and in pro wrestling. For a Sunny Kiss or a Nyla Rose to be, uh, or a Quincy in WWE to be on TV, um, and, and Anthony Bowens as people of color to be out and and on authentically themselves is an act of bravery, and it's terrible that it has to be that way. Yeah. But we have to look at you know the idea of defiance. I mean, I think of you know, you know, the truth is is that Bruce Co- Bruce Coburn was right. You know, you've got to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. And believe me, uh, you know, we're not going back in the closet anytime soon. Um, We're just going to keep kicking. Keep kicking at the darkness indeed. It's easy to get frustrated how difficult it is right now for people to authentically show their true selves, but there's still progress being made. I have a recent example tied to the local Kyra wrestling scene to share. When I was at a Can-Am show in December, which was held at the Back Alley nightclub in front of an older crowd, passed by some poetry guest Otto Gentile introduced the wrestler Evie, who is transgender, to the ring for an interview. Evie was greeted warmly with so much love and got one of the biggest positive reactions of the night, which really made me feel good. In a climate where bigoted people are trying to stop progress being made, with things as innocuous and good-hearted like an all-ages event where drag performers are skating on an ice rink and playing games, it was heartening. Then, the context of a local Calgary wrestling show held at a nightclub, the progress was here. You can't tell the history of pro wrestling without talking about queer representation. And through Rye Levy's amazing retelling of the history, I hope this episode helped illuminate that fact. Since we've reached the end of the series, I want to check on my assistant producer, Sophie, on what she learned about pro wrestling from working on this very series. Hello, Sophie. Hello. So we began this series with you simply asking why people either get into pro wrestling as fans or as wrestlers themselves. I know we kind of touched on that at the end of the first episode after you attended, I think it was a couple wrestling, event, re- wrestling events. So checking again at the end of production, do you understand even more why people are into wrestling? Yeah, for sure. I feel like there's definitely like an energy that's very infectious when you go to these events, and I imagine it would be the same for the participants. And like I'm not I'm not a sports gal, but I feel like I guess Same that here. could kind of be true of any sport. But I feel like wrestling is a little more like there's something about it that's almost like forbidden. Yeah, <laughs> like, hurting each other is not something you're really supposed to do in any other sport. Yeah, and it's also like the thing about like because it's not like MMA. Like I said, that's kind of more broy to my taste, so I'm not really yeah. into that. But like this is like you're supposed to make it look like they're really. Yeah. Beating someone up, but essentially you're not. Mm-hmm. Well, at least the good ones, you know. Yeah. Which is For kind sure. of amazing. So what were some of the kind of the biggest revelations you've had listening to the interviews? Because as my assistant producer, you, you know, you listened back to all the interviews, gave me wonderful notes and just kind of transcribed and stuff. So what were some of the things that popped out to you? 
Um, something that really popped out to me was sort of just like the relation of wrestling and gender, which is something I never really would have thought of otherwise. I really like the points that sort of femininity is scary to straight people and that can be utilized as like um <laughs> Oh, that like being a flamboyant character kind of attracts heat from the audience. You can use that to sort of like villainize yourself, which is very interesting to me. Yeah. And so what kind of term? I guess what things did you learn? What were kind of the biggest surprises you had listening back to interviews? I think the biggest surprise to me was kind of just like how important Calgary is to the whole thing. Like growing up, I was aware of the Hearts because I grew up near the Heart House and my mom went to school with them and stuff yeah. like that. But I kind of just they felt like those people that are just like Calgary famous. <laughs> I didn't realize, and then doing this, I'm like, oh no, like they're yeah. a big deal. They're and, legit famous, and it's really cool to me that like Calgary, like people are proud to be from Calgary in the wrestling scene, and that there's like, yeah. um, you mentioned that there's a like some sort of gimmick that was invented here. Yeah, like a ladder match. <laughs> yeah, which you know people climb up a ladder and grabbing a thing, like you know. Yeah, so, that yeah, comes I, from Calgary. I was surprised to find and. Um, yeah, just very surprising to me how important of a role Calgary played in the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Even like even for me, I was surprised, <laughs> and I knew so. But <laughs> truly, is one of the wrestling capitals of the world, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what kind of aspects? Because you get to be a couple, of, you've been to a couple events. Mm-hmm. What aspect and from all that? What aspect do you enjoy about pro wrestling? I really enjoy like the theatrics. I like that it's there's a story and there's personas. They give it a character and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I like how it's like what it's thought out. It's very everything they do is on purpose. It's very interesting to me. It's well choreographed and stuff like that. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So <laughs> when you've brought up to people, like you probably imagine, like, hey, I'm working on a like a pro wrestling podcast. What have they said, and like, have you tried exp- explaining wrestling to people yourself? Now that you've kind of been embedded in the world for like these kind of past <laughs> six months. Yeah, I definitely get a lot of like people being surprised that because they think I came up with it, and I'm like, I don't know why that would be so surprising. Although I didn't really know anything about wrestling when I started. <laughs> um, but yeah, what I've explained to them is kind of like I feel like anyone could find something enjoyable in wrestling. I think, yeah, I kind of just have been encouraging people i'm like yeah you should go you should check it out it's really fun yeah like i was like there's kind of the variety show aspect like there can be like heated Mm -hmm. grudge matches like i hate your guts and all that but there's also like comedy matches and just athleticism yeah it's a true variety show it is and so like we know we are in fact going to another wrestling event and uh are you excited i'm very excited it's been a while I'm excited to go again. Yeah, me too. It's going to be fun to christen this, uh, was this like a ship? Christen? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The ship podcast. But yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for everyone, the whole gang, if you will, to finally go see it. Just imagine Sophie from six months ago, like who didn't know much. Now, like, you know. Yeah. You know your stuff now. I know. I even, like, I don't even remember what I was, like, listening to the other day that they said something about kayfabe, and I was like, hey, <laughs> I know what that is now. You can, you can school people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sophie. You've been amazing help on the series, and yeah. yeah thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Body Slam Poetry. This episode was written and produced by Ben Goodman. Assistant producer Sophie Chardon. Edited by Jed Mabaza. And music by Grayscreen. Additional sources. The National Wrestling Alliance. All Elite Wrestling. The Sessions with Renee Paquette. True North Records. This initiative is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada.